Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Good morning and welcome to Real Presence Live. We're so grateful to be with you again this morning. I am Brad Gray, one of your hosts this morning, and I am joined by... I'm Jeannie Bitson, yep. and it's just a beautiful day out there, a little fresh snow falling. It is glorious. I know we woke up this morning looking out, outside the window, and all the trees just have this glorious coat of snow on them. It was really, really beautiful. I know. Once we hit that point, it's like, okay, we're all in. Let's just go for it, right? Yeah, it's nice that, you know, this can still be a point where snow is beautiful. <laughs> we're not quite far Talk- enough in yet to, where it's just dreadful. So. Talk to us in March. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or probably sooner than that. Oh. But it is, I mean, it is, this is a, a day to talk about all things beautiful because right. the Lord surrounds us over and over again with his glory, with his majesty. And I think this is just one example of that. Yeah. So let's begin in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, almighty Father, creator of heaven and earth, We are so grateful for all the blessings that you bestow on us, all the gifts, the glory of our nature, the glory of the the people in our lives. And please help us also always to remember that we need to be Christ's light in the world. Please give us all the tools, the gifts, the the discernment, uh, the things that we need to bring you into the world, in a world that's hurting, but also in a world that has so much hope. Let's bring that hope. Through Jesus' Christ's name, amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Thank you so much, Janine. Beautiful, absolutely. This, the, the Lord's uh, glory, his, revel, his resplendence constantly issuing forth in so many ways. And it's just such a treat, such a blessing to uh, to be able to to kind of discuss that once again as we start off this new week. Yeah, there's just so many miracles in the world. There's so much incredible, incredible things that mm-hmm. are tied to our God. I mean, it, all good things are from Him, right? Absolutely. And so now we are so excited. We have an incredible guest that's going to unwrap a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful miracle. miracle. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yes. And so, Bob Bird, welcome to Real Presence Live. We're so grateful to have you this morning. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm uh, c- talking to you from uh, Kenai, Alaska, which is uh, three hours from Anchorage. Mm. Uh, it's a modern community of about 40,000 people. We're very glad we don't live in Anchorage, but they come stampeding down here every weekend in the summer. <laughs> and uh, we have a modern community. There's three high schools, four high well, three high schools, and uh, three indoor hockey rinks, by the way. Okay. I and love talk- hockey. <laughs> yeah, if you're talking about snow, yeah. uh, we got uh, 12 inches and then about uh, 16 inches Whoa. within a week of each other. And then, uh, yes, God gives us beautiful snow, but he also gives us drenching rain which we had for two days and so the worst thing you can have is a lot of snow followed by heavy rain it's over now we're going to have clear skies for a week so it's just a mixed bag here south central alaska is very similar to uh the upper midwest climate 
So you can have ferocious uh, winters here with uh, tons of snow and uh, temperatures that can reach 30 to 40 below, and then you can go for, uh, you know, uh, many winters in a row where it hardly gets below zero. So you never know what's going to happen. Wow, wow. Well, that's a bigger swing than we have. We just know what we're in for month to month. <laughs> yeah, right. You're very predictable. I've done a lot of pheasant hunting in uh, the Dakotas, and I mm. love uh, oh. Yeah. So in any case, um, uh, I'm a retired public school teacher. I'm also a radio talk show host Monday through Friday, and um, I cover every single topic under the sun, from politics to uh, the arts and science mm. and uh uh, religion. So I, I have every single evangelical pastor I can get my hands on comes on my show, but I'll also uh, discuss Catholic things. And uh, with that, uh, my show's been on close to six years now. And um, I've often highlighted the Holy Shroud, uh, usually called the Shroud of Turin, mm. uh, with the world's greatest expert, Barry Schwartz. Mm. Oh. Uh, Schwartz, when I say he's the world's greatest expert, I'll, I'll qualify that saying he's the overall expert. In other words, there's so many disciplines in the study of the Holy Shroud, you cannot possibly sure. <laughs> keep up with all the different uh, scientific investigations that go on. But uh, Schwartz, who's Jewish and remains a very devout Orthodox Jew, hmm. has traveled the world, and I think his biggest audiences have been up to 10,000 people, and he also uh, gives symposiums to very elite groups in Rome and, and in Turin, and uh, discuss, discusses almost every single aspect of the Holy Shroud um, with authority. You'll see him on almost any documentary that's been produced in the last 25 years, and uh, he's a very, very friendly and accessible man. And as a result of my own interest in the Shroud, I said, to heck with it, I'm going to buy this uh, life-size replica that he has hmm. uh, made available. There's maybe, Barry's not sure himself, there's there's maybe 50 or 60 in the whole world wow. that is life-size and looks exactly like the real the real Shroud as it appeared between 1532 and 2002. Uh, The Shroud uh, in 2002 had a secret uh, restoration done to it, so uh, they did. I'll explain that shortly. Uh, But I have gone to see the Shroud in my last trip to Italy, and I am Italian, Mm. and... um, uh, you wouldn't believe it with my last name. Yeah, I was going to say, Bird my, doesn't so, strike no, me as particularly no. Italian. My, my mom was uh, in the Italian uh, underground, and my dad was an intel and recon officer, mm. and they met very late in the war. And uh, she passed the faith on to me. And uh, yeah. uh, so um, I go to Italy as often as I could, which is never enough. And <laughs> in any case, I also come to the upper Midwest because my daughter... Um, is uh, uh, associated with the St. Paul Seminary as the music director. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Bob, you know, so this is, uh, for those of us who have have had the opportunity to pay attention to this, uh, we're we're very familiar with the Shroud and what that is, but there may be listeners out there that don't even know what the Shroud of Turin is. Could you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yes, whenever I give a talk, I've got to I got to consider all these aspects. Sure. I mean, there's going to be people who've been very familiar with it, and others start like, "What's that?" You know. Yep. So, uh, no, the Holy Shroud of Turin uh, has been in uh, definitive possession in Europe since uh, the uh, 1340s. And uh, it is uh, 14 and a half feet long. It's a linen cloth, very, very damaged and very yellowed. Uh, it's 14 and a half feet long, three and a half feet wide. And it, um, uh, the claim is, and it's pretty hard to deny it anymore, that uh, it was uh, the shroud that was placed over our Lord's sacred body when he was laid in the tomb after the crucifixion. Mm. And, but the thing that's amazing about it is that since uh, it's you know almost 15 feet long, he was laid with his back onto the shroud in probably a, a, a limestone shelf inside of a, a sepulcher, and then it was pulled over the top. And so um, by whatever miraculous event occurred at the resurrection, not only does it have his blood stains on it and gives us a very, very gospel-accurate uh, look at his wounds, uh, it also, only God could do this, he gave us his photograph. Mm-hmm. And um, it has been recognized uh, as miraculous uh, for centuries, but then in 1898, when they took the very first photograph of it in Turin, Italy, with an expert amateur photographer, he just about dropped dead in his dark room when he um, uh, developed the negative on his glass plates. Uh, what's that? Oh, we have four minutes to break, but okay, continue right, on fine. about this incredible yes. photo- photograph. Yes, uh, he just about he had the close up of the face area of the uh, shroud. There's uh, you got you've got Jesus from head to toe, front and back. That's what's incredible. Mm. So as he had taken a, a close up of the face, uh, and he he developed uh, the glass plate negative in his uh, dark room. Uh, he was, like I said, just almost fainted away when he saw a far clearer picture of the face of Christ than you get from the shroud, as you would if you were looking at a positive, you see. So mm-hmm. there is uh, uh, the shroud itself is a photographic negative, which gives you a pretty good idea of what Jesus looked like. But when you look at a photographic negative, the details, not only of the face, but also his wounds, are uh, absolutely amazing. I'm going to tell you something here. I, I cherry picked a couple of uh, a couple of comments I had. Um, there was uh, I've given this talk in New Jersey, in Florida, in Minnesota, and of course in Alaska many many times. But people uh, who are going to come to see this, and it's going to be in Chisholm, Minnesota, Wednesday night, and also at St. Agnes School in St. Paul all day. I'm going to be there. They want to see the replica, and if you look at the uh, crowds that pack into Turin every time there's a very rare exposition, um, the, the, I, I was there in 2010, and I think two to three million people over about a, a six-week span of time went to see it. Wow. And uh, so the faithful have a complete understanding of what they're looking at. And uh, when I go in front of evangelical uh, uh, audiences, I tell them, okay, I know you don't need this thing. 
to uh, to prove your faith. But there isn't a Christian that doesn't need to have their faith enhanced. Mm-hmm. And when you study the cost of our sins through these wounds and uh, the uh, evidence of the miraculous, uh, with that in mind, evangelical audiences are are surprisingly very, very comfortable with with, uh, coming to see the Shroud. Mm -hmm. I want to add one more thing, okay? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, As Catholics, you understand, we're not tied to the Bible alone. And so uh, we look at the Guadalupe image, and you see, since Christ is the Word of God, and the Word made flesh, uh, the Guadalupe image converted uh, the people of central Mexico by the millions uh, once they, they understood the symbolism that was in that miraculous. And, and lastly, Christ is talking to us. The Gospels are inside this shroud. And so God doesn't limit himself to the Bible, and he can talk to us through some of his relics. And this is the greatest relic in the world. Hmm. There's no question about it. Absolutely, Bob. And and that is something that, you know, God gives us miracles, whether it's miracles of healing through intercessions of our our, uh, beloved saints. It's... uh, you know, it's all from Him. It, it's all from God. And and that is so true when people see the Eucharistic miracles, when they see the Shroud of Turin, right. when they have someone's physical healing in their own families or friendships. Um, it's, it is all from God, and, and it's just a nice boost, you mm-hmm. know, uh, more than a boost, obviously. But it, it's so important, and it's all gift from God. Yes, I have... Uh, yes, one minute. Uh, I have a couple of comments here from people who have seen it for the first time because it knocks them down. And, sure. and people people um, want to get pictures of it and they'll stare at it. I had a teenage girl once said she could stand there all day and never get tired of looking at it. Mm. Another man in Florida who was retired from nuclear medicine said it was so anatomically perfect that all doubts he might have had were just absolutely blown away like fog just like just from looking at the at the replica itself wow wow so uh, for those people who live in the iron range listening and uh, I, I want to tell you it's a lot more convenient to drive a hundred miles than it is to go to Italy <laughs> and uh, I want to recommend that they go to the uh, Catholic Church in Chisholm Minnesota Wednesday night at, uh, we'll start at 530 and uh, the talk will start at six. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we are just going to take a quick break, Bob, and we'll be back on the other side of this break with more about the Shroud of Turin. Stay with us for more Real Presence Live right after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Did you know you can listen to the RPR Network when you're on the go? Just search for Real Presence Radio in your app store. Listen live to any station across the network at any time, so you can stay connected to your local community from wherever you are. Plus, if you miss a program, the Real Presence Radio app is your one-stop shop for local and national podcasts, including our signature show, Real Presence Live. The Real Presence Radio app, with you every step of your faith journey. Download it today and see what you've been missing. This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. We can access Jesus' healing power through the sacrament of confession. 
But how can telling a priest my sins heal me? People pay good money to unburden themselves to psychotherapists because of a deep-seated human need to confess and be absolved. Through our contrition and confession to the Lord Jesus in the person of the priest, we accomplish the healthy task of accountability in an age of shirking of personal responsibility. But beyond the psychological benefits of admitting wrongdoing so that we can move on, our souls are literally wiped clean in this sacrament. We are given the grace and the strength to go out there and actually do better. A truly clean and peaceful spirit leads to a healthier body and mind. The sacrament of confession is a well of healing for your soul. Is it time for you to go to confession? Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace. Power. Purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. The Mustard Seed Catholic Store is South Dakota's place to purchase Catholic books, gifts, and decor. With locations in Rapid City and Sioux Falls, we are here to provide you with gifts for the Catholic occasions in your life. From baptism to First Communion, confirmation to weddings, and ordinations, we pride ourselves in having local artists share their creative talents, making rosaries, crucifixes, artwork, coffee, and books. We are located in Rapid City on Main Street, in the new Diocesan Building, or in Sioux Falls on Grange Avenue across from Costco. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And welcome back to Real Presence Live. We are having an amazing conversation with Bob Bird, or we could call him Bob Birdio, the Italian Bob Bird, um, uh, about the Shroud of Turin. Uh, it's, it's fascinating, Bob. This, I mean, what you're sharing and unpacking for us is, is extraordinary because this is the cloth uh, this is believed to be the cloth that that wrapped Jesus's body uh, at his death and when he's laid in the tomb. And now there are markings left. Now, if I'm not mistaken, we understand, we believe that these markings aren't just because the cloth was pressed against his body as he was laying there, but that there was some impression made upon this cloth at the moment of the resurrection, right? Like there's some sort of burst that imprinted that upon the cloth. Tell us a moment about that for a moment. Yeah, right. It's not just a burial cloth, it's a resurrection cloth. And mm-hmm. it's not uh, theo- theologians that have told us that, it's it's science. Mm-hmm. And uh, while uh, the shroud is um, probably the most studied artifact in the history of the world, it's far more studied than the Rosetta Stone or moon rocks or anything like that, uh, It is uh, many scientists have been converted uh, as they've studied the shroud. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it is a way for some people, and especially in a, in a culture that worships science instead of God. See, God is the Lord of time, and so he understood what was going to happen in our times, and he's talking to us through this. And so, um, the, um, the, let, let's talk about the hottest controversy, which is the carbon-14 dating test of 1988. Yeah, give it's, us a little bit it, of background on that and what, what yeah. seemed to be the problem. And Okay, you know. so, well, I have to, first of all, reload to 1978, when the greatest scientists in the world, from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, from the Air Force Academy, from the European Sciences, uh, and uh, were all brought together by John Jackson uh, from the Air Force Academy, who was a physicist instructor. And uh, they got, they knew there was going to be a, uh, an exposition in uh, 1978, and they got permission to put uh, the shroud to a scrutiny of non-destructive tests for five days around the clock. They had to have every second and every minute um, 
uh, catalog. That's when Barry Schwartz uh, was the official photographer. Mm. So, um, well, this was so uh, amazing, and National Geographic carried it, and uh, the results of those tests from 1978 as they came uh, released in the 10 years, they, everyone said, well, let's get a carbon-14 dating on it. Uh, all right. But then when they came up with a press conference in 1988, they shocked the world. They said, well, this is, um, we have a date here of 1260 to 1390. And do 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 that. I I said when that came out, I said this doesn't make sense, and it was going to take a couple of uh, a decade or two to figure out what they did wrong in the carbon fourteen dating test. And here's what's happened. And it took there were a lot of theories, uh, and most of them were wrong. But here's what's happened. They took samples from only one section of the cloth. And if you look at the cloth, and you'll see this in my replica, it's been excised uh, along the corners and strips unquestionably for things that would make you scream today, and that was to have relics distributed to various cathedrals throughout Europe. Mm -hmm. In in the Middle Ages, people did not need to have this proven. They wanted to share it, okay? Mm -hmm. So I use this example. If you knew that you had conclusively the... The sandals of Jesus, let's say, you're absolutely certain. We put it under, you know, a vacuum-sealed glass globe or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. But in the Middle Ages, they'd cut it up so they could share the love, okay? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so you'll see this, and so the shroud on its edges has apparently been expertly rewoven um, with... uh, Don't think that they didn't have sophisticated technologies you know, hundreds of years ago. So they rewove certain areas of the shroud, perhaps maybe it was fraying and so forth, aside from the places where they've cut it. Mm. Uh, and they, they rewove cotton into the linen, and then they hit it with a mordant dye. And this repair was not spotted by scientists and textile experts in 1978, mm. but it was detected by a middle-class couple using a home computer. <laughs> and... And they said, look, that's a different type of weave at that section. And that's exactly where they got their uh, carbon-14 sample. Wow. And uh, so, of course, it threw off the carbon-14 dating. (laughs) So that's the real problem with the carbon-14 dating. So I don't have uh, all the time to discuss it. But I will go to what historically... If you didn't have this discovery, mm-hmm. the carbon-14 dating is blown away by the historical evidence. Right. And we'll start with the uh, what's called the Hungarian Prey Manuscript, which is dated to 1193, and it's the first, the first uh, evidence we have in history of the Hungarian language. Somebody had visited the, the shroud when it was actually in possession at Constantinople and, or Istanbul, of the Byzantine Empire, and they had it. They had it since 944. So if you're going to go look at the historical record, it was in Constantinople from 944 to 1204 when the uh, Crusaders sacked it and plundered it. All right, so what happened here is that somebody saw this, and they cartooned it in a letter to home. All right, they had two panels. And they show, because they, uh, the, the Byzantines did ex, uh, make it uh, publicly exposed at uh, certain occasions. And this fellow, whoever he was, put, the, uh, put in his letter 
a beautiful uh, showing of how Christ was wrapped with exactly the same posture you see in the shroud. And then he even put in some damaged holes, and he even had the proper weave of the cloth in his cartoon. So there were some, uh, there's four L-shaped holes, and we don't know what caused them, but they're definitely uh, burn marks. Hmm. And uh, they've been in existence for a lot longer than the 1532 damaged uh, damaged, uh, that uh, fire that uh, occurred to the shroud. So uh, that in and of itself throws the dating off because the Byzantines had it since 944. Mm -hmm. That's way outside of their parameters of 1260. And then uh, it was rediscovered in uh, what is called today Urfa, Turkey, uh, it was called Edessa in ancient times and in medieval times, and they, they, yep, they had the uh, they had the shroud in Edessa, Turkey. But I also like to point out <laughs> the um, the biblical evidence. Of course, uh, when when uh, Peter and John go into the tomb, all right, mm-hmm. the Bible doesn't say, "Gosh, they looked at the shroud and saw the face of Jesus on it." No, it simply says they entered the tomb and they believed. And they talk extensively about the shroud or the linen cloths that were there, and they specifically uh, mentioned two and maybe more cloths that were there. So what was it that made them believe? Hmm. That They don't tell you that in the Gospels. For You can speculate the reason. Hmm. Uh, but but let's, let, me, let me get cut to the chase here. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and died, to provide the dignity of taking him from the cross, they wrapped a linen cloth around his head, mm-hmm. and which was horribly tortured as well as the other parts of his body. And um, while they took him down from the cross, his head, bleeding as it was from scalp wounds and probably from his nose and uh, even his uh, tear ducts through his eye sockets, mm. Uh, this cloth absorbed the blood because, as we know, Jews absorb the blood and they try to uh, bury uh, a body with the blood if there's blood that's been spilled. And you take this uh, Sudarium Oviedo, uh, which is in Oviedo, Spain, and I've got a life-size replica of that, which will be on display as well, and they match perfectly to the face on the shroud. Then there's the Manapello cloth, which is another great mystery, uh, which uh, is found in Italy and is made out of the world's most expensive cloth called Bises, B-Y-S-S-U-S, or sea silk. And it's also got an image, and it's where we get the Veronica legend that we see in the sixth station of the cross. Mm-hmm. And uh, you match them up, and they're all a perfect fit. And so uh, they've never been matched up, of course, uh, but we've got the replicas and know the dimensions, and they, it, it works. So wow. all of these things, you look at art history. When the Edessa cloth was rediscovered about 525, all the images of Jesus and art conformed to what you see on the shroud and gives us uh, the parameters that we have today. You always see Jesus with his hair long, parted down the middle, you always see Jesus with a beard, with uh, a very long nose and owl-like eyebrows, 
and also a little bit of uh, a beard is missing right below his lower lip, and it's a slightly forked beard underneath the chin. All of these things, check it out. Check out Rembrandt. Check out every single uh, 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 replica of Jesus that artists have given us. And, of course, the Byzantine artists were tremendous. And so they were using the shroud as the template to, uh, to let us know what Jesus looked like. And wow. now we have not only that, the work of skilled artists of, of millennia, we also now have the photograph of Jesus. That's awesome. Uh, Bob, you, we're just coming to the end here, but could you just, from once again, repeat where you're going to be, when you're going to be, so people can come check it out? Yes, I'm going to be at Sacred Heart Parish in Chisholm, Minnesota, in the heart of the Iron Range. It's between Hibbing and Virginia, and... Um, uh, the shroud will be open for people to just come and look at it from 5.30 till 6, and my PowerPoint presentation starts at 6. And they'll also have a chance just to take pictures of it and look at it uh, after the talk. And then I'm going to be at St. Agnes School in, in St. Paul uh, all day uh, uh, on Friday, this coming Friday. Okay. And, uh I can't tell you what the school's rules are as far as visitors go, but I do know that uh, we'll be in a classroom all day. People will come and go. The students will come and go. Parents will come and go. I'll be there to answer questions, and they can come look at this incredible gift that uh, God has given us in this time of great doubt. Wow. So, so awesome. Thank you, Bob, for, for being on with us this morning and for also helping to, to spread the word about this extraordinary gift from heaven, really. And I hope this will be podcast so people who weren't yep. up, uh, they'll be able to listen to yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. So. All absolutely. right, thanks for uh, uh, having me on your show. And I want to give thanks to Robert Valentini who made these arrangements for my trip and also this interview. Fantastic. Well, thanks for being with us. We have to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to hear about a young missionary's journey from Minnesota to Boston and how he's impacting the lives of students. So stay tuned with us for more Real Presence Live right after this. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 